Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this week's Global Intelligence Update. I'm Kirsten Quinn with the Circle of Excellence. With me today is expert communicator Steve Buston. Um, I'm going to hand straight over to Steve so he can introduce himself to everyone. Over to you, Steve. Yeah, good morning, everybody. Um, thank you for the invite. It's, it's, uh, it's terrific to be here. Um, I know Mike and, and, and Landy uh, through the speaking network, so um, they asked me some months ago. We, in fact, this is it's funny. This is one of those things that's been in my diary for months and months and months. Um, and then suddenly it's here. It's like, oh, crikey. Um, so, yeah, I'm based in the UK. I'm in Brighton on the south coast of the UK, about sort of due south of London. Um, and the, uh, the English Channel is about a mile and a half down the road from where I am sat right now. Um, and yeah, as, as Kirsten said, I'm a communicator. I have been all my life. Um, when I was about seven or eight, I started a family newspaper, um, which I originally claimed was going to be weekly. Need to say it wasn't. Um, but I would do a little roundup of all the family news, what was going on and all this stuff. And I always knew I wanted to work in it, somehow in communications. And I really, my first major role was in the BBC. So I was a journalist for BBC News many years. And I was lucky enough to be sent out to report on all sorts of major stories. I interviewed Margaret Thatcher, I interviewed Tony Blair uh, when he was prime minister, um, interviewed a number of sort of business leaders and celebrities and members of the public. And I have to say, if you're interviewing people, the, the tough interviews are always the members of the public. Because when you're interviewing a politician, you know pretty much what's going to come out of their mouth. Um, with a member of the public, you have not got a clue what they're going to talk about um, or what they're going to say or what tangent they're going to go off on or what language they're going to use. So uh, I learned a lot uh, about communication just in terms of connecting with people and speaking their language and sometimes guiding their communication, which was probably quite a useful skill to develop. Um, I left the BBC and went into public relations initially for a dot-com in uh, 2000. Uh, we, as, it, as dot coms had a tendency to do at that point, we burnt our way through three and a half million pounds of venture capital money and then went bust. Um, and I learned a lot about business, watching a business go out of business. Um, and I, that's really where I started to realise what business involved and some of the skills I was going to need. Because then when that finally went down, I initially went freelance and was really doing PR, was doing public relations um, and doing some freelance journalism alongside it. And I suddenly realized that actually I quite enjoyed being self-employed. I quite enjoyed the challenge, finding new work, selling my skills, um, developing client relationships, all that sort of stuff. And so I started to, to build a business from there. Um, we were only ever, at maximum, we were, we were three people. Um, and I was, we were only ever a boutique agency. I didn't particularly want to grow to be a, a huge organization. But what was interesting was when I then had a one particular client who I brought on these two members of staff to work on a big account for them. And that, that client then stopped paying. Um, and I, of course, I had to carry on paying the staff and paying my costs and things like this. And suddenly realized that I was about £36,000 out of pocket. Um, had to let the staff go. The client eventually uh, didn't, didn't pay. They ended up having to be wound up. I mean, they all went to court. It was pretty grim at the time. But again, I learned a lot about communications. Um, I learned a lot about how you communicate in those sort of very formal situations when you feel that somebody is doing you wrong or those sorts of things. Um, and then alongside the PR business, I had very early on started doing some coaching and training and speaking. I was a very early adopter with social media. Um, so I, and I fact, very, very early adopter with the internet generally. Uh, I was part of a team of three that introduced the internet into the BBC newsroom uh, many, many years ago. And I remember running a 
a, a seminar for the editors of all the big news programs and things. And we were like, okay, this is called Google. We think this is going to be quite interesting. And they all sat there going, why? What does it do? Why does it look pretty boring to us? Um, how wrong they were. Um, so because I was doing that, people started saying, oh, actually, would you come and teach us about social media or teach us about how we should be doing things online? And then somebody said, oh, would you come and speak at a conference about that? And I was like, yeah, I can do that. Um, so I did. I went and spoke at their conference. And then somebody else who saw me there went, oh, will you come and speak at our conference about that? So I was like, yeah, I can do that. And then I started speaking at a number of conferences until somebody said, you're a good speaker. Would you be able to, could you coach me on how to do that, on how to speak? And I was like, yeah, I could actually. So my business gradually changed and I eventually moved right out of PR. I made a conscious decision to leave PR and move full time into speaking, training, coaching. And that's now what I do. I now speak and compare. I, I'm, I compare a lot of events as a sort of MC or host uh, conferences and things. And then I do a lot of speech coaching. So I do uh, work with individuals and organizations. Um, I do a lot of work in finance sector. So Goldman Sachs are a client, Unilever. I do pharmaceutical um, coaching individuals about their public speaking. So that's a slightly long-winded answer. Um, Kirsten, I hope that um, gave you an, the introduction you needed. Um, yes. But hopefully, yeah. <laughs> this is my bag. It always has been. Um, I, I enjoy it. You know, I enjoy studying how other people communicate. And I really enjoy working with particular organizations who are struggling to communicate either with their staff or with their customers and actually find ways to, to help to, to, to make that link. Because communication is a conversation. Ultimately, that's what it is. It's a conversation. It's a link. So go on, Kirsten, I'll let you. Let Very you true. I was going to say, I think you've answered the first four questions already. <laughs> My <Sorry>. next question. <laughs> that's all right. It flowed so naturally. I was going to ask you um, to tell us a bit more about your background and how you got to where you are today. Um, but yeah, you've, you've, you've covered that and, um, and why you decided to become an entrepreneur. I don't know if you want to go more into yeah. that. Well, I suppose, I mean, it's interesting. I don't think I ever really decided. And I suspect, like a lot of people, it's one of those things that actually be becoming involved in business happened sort of by accident. I was just, it was necessity, I suppose. I was, when I was made redundant when this dot-com went down, um, and I started to say, I was just thinking of myself as, as freelancing, and then suddenly you realise that actually what you're doing is running a business. And I then had to learn. I'd never studied business. I'd, you know, I'd never... Um, had you know, really worked in businesses because the BBC is not really a business. The BBC is a, is a slightly odd organisation because of the way it's funded, it's not profit driven. Um, so I had to learn the basics of business, and it took you know, and I made mistakes, and I you know, well, God, my, my, how did I make mistakes? Um, you know, but I think that's you have to make mistakes sometimes. You have to learn, and, and I think like most of us, I learned on the job. Um, and you know, were I to go back and do it again, would I do it slightly differently? Yes, I probably would. Um, but at the time, you just you make the decisions that feel right at the time. Exactly. Um, you live and you learn. So, yeah, I'm not sure. It's funny. I, I'm not sure whether I chose entrepreneurship or whether it it came and you know just fell into my lap. And, and I suppose even now, I've you know people say, oh, you know, are you are you are you running a business? Not what well, I am, but I'm a one person business. That's still a business. You know, I still have to have cash flow, and I still have to have. You know, I still have to understand my profit and loss and I still have to understand all the different aspects that a business, you know, that would be enormous would also have to run. Um, you know, the scale is different, clearly. But, you know, I think it is important that those of us who are one person operations um, still think of themselves as a business. And I do talk a lot to freelancers. I'm an entrepreneurship ambassador to the business school at the University of Brighton. Um, and I do, a lot, I do speak to the students there about 
you know you've got to understand that yes you'll have to run a business and there are some there are some things you do need to do and they're like well i don't want to bother with accounts and it's like yeah, yeah you really do need to bother with accounts um otherwise you're going to be in all sorts of trouble um so it is yeah i i, I have to encourage people to, to think of themselves as a business i think the other reason it's useful if you're a one-person operation to think of yourself as a business is it allows you to separate yourself so there's you and there's the business and it's you know if you are selling yourself which i am ultimately i'm, I'm exchanging my time for money i suppose and, and and various other income streams if you're selling yourself then you've got to be able to take the knocks that come with it it's very easy if your business is going badly to feel that reflects on you as an individual and that somehow you are less worthy or whatever and i think you can have a huge impact on people's mental health um, but actually, I think it is important to, to see yourself and the business so you can sometimes step out of it. I used to trade as stevebustin.com and I stopped. I now my, my business is called Get Your Voice Heard. And it's partly so I could separate myself from the business and also so that I can, if I want to, subcontract um, and get somebody else to do my content and things like that. It just opens up some avenues. Some work-life balance as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. And um, tell me, what sort of businesses do you work with? I know you mentioned, uh, I think, authors and and keynote speakers. Yeah, so I I do I work with two different sets, I suppose. I do work on the corporate side, as I mentioned, I do a lot of work with financial organisations, so accountants, um, financial planners. I do a lot of work with uh, financial people within the National Health Service here in the UK, uh, coaching them. And it's interesting working with accountants. As soon as you work, walk into them, they're like, oh, we're, we, they always say, we're really boring. Nobody wants to hear what we've got to say. So actually, if, you're, if you are the accountant in a board meeting, you are possibly the most important person in that room because you hold the key to every other decision. You know, you have the key, you have the figures, you, have, you hold the key to whether we can afford to invest, whether we can afford to spend this, whether we have to make cuts. So it's, it's interesting. It's, there's a mindset shift you always have to do with people in finance. They always assume... Um, that they're going to be boring and there's, there's a, it's, it's a, an interesting one um i also do a lot of work in pharmaceutical uh when i was running the pr agency we specialized in aesthetic uh and cosmetic treatments don't ask me why very long story um but uh although i'll tell you what there's nothing there's nothing to, to, to make you feel self-conscious like going into a meeting with a liposuction surgeon who halfway through the meeting goes would you like me to do some work while you and i was like no thank you no i'm fine <laughs> um but uh yeah so pharmaceutical is interesting because um there's a lot of money swirling around uh but there's a lot of egos uh i've ended up signing a lot of ndas in my time because you end up you know i've, I've worked on projects which are not yet have not yet launched but i ended up becoming the um speech speech coach to the international president of one of the major pharmaceutical companies um uh, I say was he's actually unfortunately he's just retired. It's a real shame. Um, you know that's one of those make the things, isn't it? When your clients decide to go off elsewhere. Uh, but yeah, so I do that. So I do the corporate side. So that can be individuals saying, "I've got this speech. Can you come and help?" Or it can be teams who are like saying, "Actually, we're struggling to connect with our market, with our audiences," um, and I'll go in and work with them on how to do that. On the other side, I do work with um, yeah with speakers, uh, with people who are developing their own speaking business, keynoters. Um, who are looking for help to develop their content, develop their delivery, and again, and also to find their market and to you know get themselves in front of an audience. So I run a um, I run a, a group called Critique Club, which is a six month coaching program, um, which is uh, have there's only over six speakers in it at a time, um, and we do six month we meet and we all we everybody presents to the group and then we, we get feedback and critique and things and we do some coaching. 
Um, that's actually been that's been really successful, and I've now got an, an alumni group running as well. People who've been through that program, which is quite nice. But the other thing that actually people might be interested in is I run a free event uh, on the last Wednesday of the month called Speech Club, which is a it's a bit like a book club but for speeches. So every month we watch a great speech and we critique it and and we didn't discuss it and what do we like and about what they said and how they said it all that sort of stuff. Um, so if people are interested now, I can drop a link into the chat at some point. Um, so I, yeah, it's it's interesting working with people within huge corporate organizations and people who are working like me as a as a one person business or maybe in a smaller organization or who are leading a you know a smaller organization um a lot of people come to me and they're saying oh actually i'm i'm struggling to connect with my staff or i want you know i've got i want to go out and start being seen on the conference circuit uh, representing my organization and that's been really fun i get to work with all sorts of different people i spent last week i was coaching somebody in the aquaculture industry mm. and he, he works on ai to help feed farmed salmon wow. and it was you know it's the most extraordinary Fascinating. incredibly niche product. Mm. and there is a conference in fact it just happened last week the conference in norway about ai being used to feed farmed fish and it's just like wow that's that is specialist um but it's quite interesting just to dig into topics like that and it, you know, ultimately the the skill sets are the same in terms of understanding what you want to say, understanding your key messages, understanding who you're talking to, what they want from you, and sort of building your, your speech from there. Great. Thanks, Steve. Okay, so how have you built a client base and what are your key sales and marketing activities? Oh, good question. <laughs> um, so, well, I've been, I mean, I've been self-employed 20 years uh, and as I say, really, that's a split sort of in half. First ten years PR, second half of the year, second half of that speaking and training, and coaching. Um, I am aware that people buy me, so I want to give them the Steve Bustin experience. So I'm lucky; I get to stand on a stage and do my thing and get paid for it, and people come up to me afterwards and ask and make inquiries about my business. Um, so it's sort of paid business development. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice position to be in. So if somebody asks me to speak at a conference, then I can go do that. And then I can almost guarantee afterwards, I'll have people go, oh, do you coach on that? Or I, you know, because I talk on communications, I can often mention the fact that I coach. Um, you know, and I would say to people, if you are speaking about, you know, if you're out speaking on, on, on events and things, don't be scared just to mention some of the services you've got. Not as a, an advert, but just as a sort of, oh, when I was coaching a client recently, and here's a story, um, which just helps to you know, subtly mention the fact that you are, you are, um, you are selling these services. Um, so yeah, the stage is a good, good place for me um, to say, I, you know, it's, it's, it's what I do either as a compare or as a speaker, but also it allows me to show what I do and to drive new business inquiries that way. And then online is also an important one for me. Um, I've been getting work through YouTube recently um you know i'm on most of the platforms i don't use instagram that much for business at the moment i'm just looking at it and i'm looking at instagram reels because i think they're interesting video is good for me because communication comes across well in a video uh, so youtube has driven work for me um so i have a lot of content up on youtube i just put lots of short sharp tips um i have some of my full keynotes are up there there's all sorts of content and it just means people can see me doing what i do and I have had people, you know, I've had inquiries off the back. So, for example, I have there's a little 10 minute talk up there about how to introduce your business. And it was actually at a, at a speaking association event. Uh, so it was sort of, sort of aimed at, at public speakers or professional speakers, I should say. Um, but it 
it's just yeah there's just general tips about how to introduce your business when somebody asks you what do you do how should you answer little 10 minute talk and it racks up about a thousand views a month it's sitting at somewhere just under a hundred thousand views at the moment and that video gets me work i've had a number of people ring up and say oh we've seen this video do you do that as a half day workshop somebody rang me actually not long after i went up and said oh we've seen that 10 minute video um is there an hour long version and i'm like there is now um <laughs> and then they said oh, would you like to come to bangkok to deliver it it's like yes i would um and uh and so it's great i got really nice a very nicely paid business class flights the whole lot trip to bangkok to go to deliver because they'd seen it on youtube so, you know, I think video is absolutely key to most businesses. Video has just become the currency on social media. As I say, I'm just exploring reels on Instagram and how those are working. I've got half an eye on TikTok. I'm not yet engaged. I do have an account that I haven't posted, um, but I can see that's moving forward. And I, I'm, I'm happy to be waiting. You know, I'm 51 and I'm aware that there is a whole generation of people coming up who are using social media in a very different way. And those now are the people who are running HR departments and learning and development departments and events companies and all those sorts of people, people. And that's where they're looking for their contact content. They are on LinkedIn, but actually a lot of event organizers, and I'm going to, okay, I'm going to generalize slightly. A lot of event organizers are probably in their 30s, early 30s, and on the whole female. That seems to be, the, certainly in the UK, that's, that's the, 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 the event industry it tends to be very female dominated and probably in most, most people in the 30s. And they are spending their lives on Instagram. And when they're promoting their events, that's where they want mentions and interaction is Instagram. So therefore, I need to be on Instagram and I need to be using that. So you've got to understand where your target is sitting. Um, you know, and if that's what they're using primarily, you need to be there. And it's, I hear, still hear a lot of people going, oh, well, you know, I, I, I post on LinkedIn regularly. Great. But actually, if your audience aren't using LinkedIn, it's not necessarily hitting home. Pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical people are only on LinkedIn when they're job hunting. Apart from that, they don't touch it because they've got no need to. They don't, they're not looking, you know, if they need suppliers or whatever, they'll go elsewhere, they'll go to their network. Um, so when I'm looking for pharmaceutical clients, I need to be at pharmaceutical events. So I will go to conferences and, you know, I will get myself invited to speak at conferences and things like that because I know it puts me in front of the right audience. And I can talk their language and I can use examples and case studies that come from their industry so that they can see that I, you know, I have expertise there. So it is all, all my marketing activities about where is my market and who do I, how do I go and find them? And then how do I connect, connect with them in the best way? Actually uh, speaking so, to them. <laughs> yeah, so it is. It's a lot of speaking to them. Um, you know, I, I just understanding how people are consuming content. Uh, you know, a lot of people are no longer reading long blog posts. Um, you know, there's a real reason why LinkedIn and other platforms are prioritizing video. Um, you know, if you're not shooting regular video, you really are missing out. And quite frankly, when we all have a phone, you know, we have a camera and a microphone in our pocket, there's no excuse. Um, quite frankly, using Zoom, I, I mean, I film a lot of my newsletter videos. I use just use Zoom. I just switch on recording and then and then do it from there and just talk straight to the camera. Um, so you need you need to be yeah you need to understand the the way communication has changed and the way it is changing, and it's short and it's sharp and it's punchy. It's not to say there isn't room for long thought long longer form thought led pieces, but actually, uh, you know, communications generally, not just in business, but uh, you know, generally are becoming punchier and more visual and more engaging um you know so short sharp top tips 
you know, are or you know, always good. If you're if people are struggling to think what they should um, be doing on video, there's a couple of really useful models just to think to ways to, to generate ideas. First one is write down your FAQs, your frequently asked questions. What are the 10 questions you get asked most often, either about you or about your business or about the service or about the benefits you provide? Write down 10 FAQs and then each, video, each one of those is a video. So often I get asked, what's the best way to reach a new audience when you're trying to reach a new market? So actually, when I want to reach a new market, I'll go out and research. You know, so I will pose the question at the beginning of the video and then I'll answer it. And the question becomes the, 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 the title of the video. Um, most people in YouTube put questions. If they're searching information and what have you, they will put a question. So if you title the video with a question, you're might more likely to hit the, um, the algorithm. Uh, so yeah, think about, so FAQs is a good one for video content. Um, the other one is things like an A to Z of your particular topic. Um, so think about, um, you know, what could you say about uh, saying communication? So A might be audience. B might be, he says now desperately trying to think of a B that chimes with communication. Um, <laughs> my brain's not working yet this morning. Uh, you know, sorry, I've just gone completely blank on Bs. Um, but, you know, so you can get, yeah, if you can pick up. Well, it pops into my budget. Brilliant. Yes, thanks, Kirsten. Absolutely. <laughs> budget. Um, and actually, you do need yeah. And that's, actually, that's a really good one. I'm going to remember that. Because um, <laughs> you need to add, you know, that's an interesting one. You do need to allocate some budget to your communications. A lot of people don't, but you, know, you do need to put some budget behind it. So there, that might be my next video. So this is why you need to allocate some budget to your communications campaigns. And here we go. Here's my answer. Yep. So A to Zs are always good. Um, those sorts of things. And so there are ways of, of just helping you to generate content. Because, you know, if you do an A to Z, you've got 26. Um, so, you know, that's going to take you, if you put out one a week, that's half your year. So, okay. yeah. Plus your 10 just, FAQs. So you've got almost 36 videos already. Oh, absolutely. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, another one, just another YouTube tip is um, to start your video or the title with how to. So how to use slides during your presentation how to introduce your business, how to do whatever. How to is, a, again, a key phrase on, on YouTube. It's a way a lot of people will search. Um, so it's just another one if you are looking to, to really up your YouTube game. And the other one is to make sure that you are tagging your video using keywords. It's worth spending a little bit of time getting to know YouTube. The other reason YouTube is so important is this is, of course, owned by Google. And in itself, it is the second largest search engine in the world. Um, you know, so if you don't have a YouTube channel, you're not on the second largest search engine in the world, um, which is just crazy. And people just you know, obsess over Google, but actually are missing out on, on things like that. So if you don't have a YouTube channel, set one up. It's very easy to do. Um, if you want to go and have a look at mine, I'm youtube.com slash Steve Bustin. Um, and you'll see what I'm doing. And a lot of my stuff is quite similar. I just put out top tips videos, um, but you'll find my keynotes, you'll find my show. I've got a show reel on there for my comparing show reel for my um, speaking, all those sorts of things. And say so YouTube drives me business. Um, so yeah, but find your audience. Think of, you know, just, just know where your audience hangs out and go to them. Don't expect them to be coming to you the whole time. Um, I think too many businesses are just obsessed with LinkedIn and ignoring these huge opportunities on other platforms. Um, I think the other, thing, the other thing to bear in mind on LinkedIn, treat it a bit more like Facebook. Um, LinkedIn is becoming less formal. Uh, 
to the point where in the last three last couple of days they have now la- um, added a laugh emoji in the reactions underneath so you can now laugh and set up you know <clears throat> have a humorous response to somebody's linkedin post and i think that tells you everything you need to know about what their algorithm is looking for uh so if you've got stuff that is it may feel you know it's more maybe more personal um it may just be a bit more informal that stuff's doing very well on linkedin and i'll give an example um i as i was saying to kirsten just before we started um i have a new puppy downstairs she's 11 weeks old um she's a gordon setter she's absolutely beautiful she's a pain in the backside but she's lovely i posted on linkedin a picture of ari that's her name uh, and said meet my new intern ari um, her key, work, key role within the business is shredding newspaper, nipping my ankles to make sure that I get up to take a break uh, and warming my seat before I sit down. Uh, and then, and it's, that has had, in the, I mean, that's been up, I suppose, about 10 days. Um, and it's had pushing 10,000 views. Um, it's had a lot of interaction. It's had a lot of people who've then clicked through and looked at my profile. I've posted a couple of follow-up posts with her. And I made it a sort of business business point, but actually it's just, it's given people interaction. It's also one of my brand values is fun. Um, I want people to have fun when they're working with me and I want to have fun when I'm out working. So it also ties into my brand values. Um, I want people to enjoy seeing my content to, to have fun when they're, when they're reading it. So yeah. And my, so my tone of voice on LinkedIn is, is fairly informal. Um, you know, you've got to understand what your brand values are, what people expect of you. But for me, that's part of it. So, yeah, again, I'm just using quite basic communication skills just to, to help drive it. Um, sorry, I've just, again, I've given you a very long answer there, Kirsten, and probably answered no. a couple more questions. That's that all right. Every time you speak, though, I want to, like, jump in and, and, and just talk with you on the topic because it is very interesting. <laughs> but I'll move on to the next question. So um, what are your top tips for those having to present or pitch as part of their working lives? Okay, uh, prepare, 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 um, I think would be the obvious answer. Um, too many people still put together really important presentations and pitches the night before, you know, or they're working on their laptop on the train or the plane or the whatever on the way to the, to the event. Um, good presentations happen in the preparation, not on the podium. So really start work, start thinking about them in advance. So one of the things I will do is whenever somebody asks me to present, I will open a note in Evernote. I have Evernote on my laptop. It's on my phone. It's on my iPad. Uh, But whatever note-taking form you have, maybe just have a notebook. And as soon as somebody asks me, I will open a note in Evernote and I will title it with the event uh, and what, you know, just what the topics they've asked me to speak on. And then I will just start dropping thoughts in as something occurs to me. And I, oh, actually, when I, oh, actually that event, I I should tell that story or that would work really well or... I need to make that point and I will just add it in. And some of it's fairly repetitious. There are certain stories I tell a lot, um, but it just means that then I have, when I come to start preparing that presentation, I've got a list of ideas and thoughts. doesn't mean they're all going to end, end up in there. Some of them will get edited out for, for length or for time or for, you know, maybe they're not quite as relevant as I initially thought, but it just means I'm not looking at a blank page going, what on earth am I going to say? Um, and I, so I would really encourage you to start making notes about every presentation and, and quite frankly, every meeting, that sort of stuff you've got coming up, just so you can grab thoughts about them in advance when they occur to you. And it might be, I'm out walking the dog, you know, and I'll suddenly go, oh, that would be good. And I'll just get my phone out and I'll make a note of it. You know, by the time I get back to my laptop, it's all synced and it's there. 
Um, so I think preparation is really key. The other big one is rehearsal. A lot of people don't rehearse their presentation or they don't rehearse it enough. And if they do, what they'll do is they'll look at their slides and they'll go, okay, so yeah, I need to talk about that. Um, yeah, and then I need to talk about that and that and that and that. No, 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 no. Deliver it as you are going to deliver it, word for word. And ideally, set up either Zoom and set, start recording or set up your phone and record it and watch it back and hate it because nobody likes watching themselves on camera. Um, it's grim, quite frankly. Uh, I mean, I've been doing it for years and I still don't particularly like it. Um, but it is the best way to understand how you come across to an audience. So watch it back and critique it. Bear in mind that you are going to be the harshest critic ever, which in some ways is good, but don't beat yourself up too much. But watch out for filler words. Watch out for words that you repeat a lot. Watch out for physical tics. You know, I have a tendency, I have to be very careful not to take my glasses off, glasses on, glasses off, glasses on, all those sort of things. Or, you know, if you have a tendency to have a pen and fiddle with a pen and click it and all that sort of stuff, watch out for that sort of stuff. And it just helps you to iron it out. Um, I would say you should never put up, a, you should never st stand up to deliver a presentation without having said it out loud in full at least twice, preferably more. Particularly if it's an important pitch, the number of people who go into pitch for clients or whatever, or pitch to an existing client, and it's like you know it's all being rushed to get thrown together, and it's all let's we can use that deck we we've got those slides we've used before and what have you, and then they get there and it's all a bit ramshackle, and then they wonder why they don't win the business. Um, so yeah, preparation and rehearsal, and then I think my third tip would be treat it as a conversation. In this day and age, audiences want to interact. One of the things we've all learned over the last two or three years is the importance of a chat box, of interaction, people being able to ask questions, all those sorts of things. So look for ways for your audience to interact with you, even if you're in the room. Now, it's interesting, in the room, we don't have a chat box. And we've all sort of got used to having a chat box. So how else can you get people to interact? You can get people to ask questions. You can do you can ask for shows of hands. Um, you can just find these ways, Mentimeter and Slido and all those sorts of things that a lot of us have used on Zoom over the last couple of years work very well in the room as well. Um, so find ways for people to interact with your presentation and pitch. It will keep them far more engaged. They will feel that it's they're part of it. And in particular, if you can give them ways to let that, to let you know what they want you to talk about, um, I think that can can really work. Um, so find ways to interact. Treat it as a conversation. It should be two way. It shouldn't just be you doing the talking. It's one of the reasons when Kirsten and I discussed today. I said let's just do it interview style rather than me speaking. I think it's more, yeah, it's, it's a more engaging way of doing it. And, and Kirsten can represent you as the audience and tell me the sorts of things you know that she thinks you would like to know about. So you know can guide the conversation, uh, which I think is useful. Uh, so yeah, I, the, my other sort of bonus tip. I know this is the fourth. Would be if it's going badly. Don't be scared to scrap it and go to Q&A. If you can tell that your presentation just isn't hitting home, and it might be that you just didn't get the content quite right for this audience, or you haven't understood the audience's level of knowledge, it may just be that it's incredibly hot in the room and the audience are falling asleep. It may be that it's the end of the day and the audience have, have, have lost interest, they've got their brains are full. If you get the feeling this presentation isn't really hitting home, I think the best thing to serve the audience is to say, I'm not sure this is quite going where, where I wanted it to go. Just ask me some questions. Let me, tell me what you would like me to talk about and just throw it to Q&A. 
an audience will often go, oh, great, brilliant. Okay, I've got this question. And all of a sudden, you know that they're getting what they want because they're driving the content rather than you forcing content that may not be right on them. So it's, again, I think it's this sign of a confident speaker and somebody who's confident in their content and their expertise to be able to go, I'm not sure this is quite working. Ask me questions. Tell me what you want me to talk about and go that way. So there you go. There's four tips. Great. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Um, okay. So then, see there, I'm, that's my favorite word is um. <laughs> and that's one of my ticks. <laughs> I can't get away from it. <laughs> Just on that, don't, don't overthink it. Ums and ers are verbalized pauses. And we all do it. And we all filter them out. I haven't noticed that you're an er at all. Um, and now we all you do will. It. We all are very good at filtering out. So don't, don't panic about it. A lot of people go, oh my God, I said um. Doesn't matter. We filter it out. But if you find yourself going to um, try to go to a pause instead. The pause is your friend when you're speaking. Yes, that's true. Because a pause <laughs> just says, I've got all the time in the world. I'm confident. And actually, it gives your brain time to think, where am I going next? What am I going to say next? It also actually gives your audience time to, chance to process what you're saying, which is also, you know, is, is, a, is a good thing too. So yeah, try to practice going to a pause rather than a mirror, but don't don't overthink <laughs> it. A lot of people get really, really het up about them's nerves. Very occasionally, I'm one of those. Who, but it's really not for most people. <laughs> We, Mike and, and Landy and I, we, we always constantly voice noting each other and, um, you know, the messaging system. And I listen to my voice note and I go, oh, I've said it four times, <laughs> you know, in a minute or something. And I bet they haven't noticed. That's Maybe the not. truth of it. They probably haven't noticed. <laughs> anyway, moving on to the, the next question. Where do most people go wrong when delivering a pitch for prospective clients or investment? Uh, they talk about me, 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 rather than you, you, you. Um, so uh, there's an awful lot of people, if they go in pitching clients or pitching for work, they will just talk about themselves. And they'll talk about their ideas. And they'll talk about what they do. Actually, you should go in and talk about the client. We all like other people to talk about us. You know, we're all driven ultimately by self-interest. And a lot of people just don't go in and talk about the client. They just talk, you know, here's, here's my creds. Here's the people I've worked for. Here's, here's what I'm going to do actually talk about the client and how they're going to feel when they when they finish working with you or when this campaign has launched or whatever it is you're pitching how are they going to feel how, how's their life going to be better how is their business going to be better what's the you know what difference is it going to make so it's the old thing partly about talking about um uh the benefits not the features um you know and actually going and just think, talk about if you can tell, talk about somebody how you're going to make them feel that will make a, a much stronger connection you know, yes, by all means, talk about figures, talk about, you know, percentage increase in sales, that sort of stuff. Great. Absolutely. But if you can talk about how your business or your product or your service is going to make somebody feel, that will connect with them far more. The other big mistake I'm seeing a lot of people making pitches is they don't differentiate themselves. Um, they don't make it clear why they are different to their competitors. So if you are going in as, let's say, a web design company, all web design companies ultimately do pretty much the same thing. You know, you can all design me a website, and I'm sure you can all design me a very good website. What sets you apart often isn't what you do, it's how you do it. It's the process, and it's the experience. And that, to me, is a key one. If you can talk about the, what's the experience of working with you, Again, that will help to differentiate you. 
Um, if you're not sure whether you are differentiating yourself properly from your competitors, here's a, just, here's a really interesting little exercise for you. When we finish today, go to your website and um, copy the text on the homepage and paste it into a Word document. Uh, use um, find and replace and strip out every time it mentions your company name and replace it with that of your closest competitor. Then reread the text and you'll probably find you've just described your closest competitor in really glowing and accurate terms. And that's because you haven't differentiated yourself. You haven't told me what makes you different to your competitors. Avoid the cliches though. They're an awful, you know, we're a really people focused business. Show me a people company that's not people focused. You know, we're really customer centric. Show me a company that's not, quite frankly, if you're not customer centric, you're going out of business. Um, you know, we're leading, that's a cliche. Um, uh, oh, um, if people say, oh yeah, we're really creative. We're a, we're, we're a very creative company. Uh, if you have to tell me you're creative, you're clearly not. Um, or people say, oh, we're passionate. We're passionate about blah. Again, if you have to tell me you're passionate, you're not. Um, I should be able to tell you're passionate or creative from the way you dress, the way you walk into the room, the language you use, the whole energy you give off. That's how you communicate creativity and passion. Not by telling me. If you have to point it out, there's a problem. Um, so yeah, it's all that's all part of differentiation. So yeah, in terms of problems I see in pitches, um, differentiation, people talking about themselves too much uh, and, and not really setting out the, what the experience is like of, of working with them. Great. There are two questions in the, I missed them before we jumped into the, the next question. Um, it's one from Philip asking, any suggestions when you struggle to get questions? I, I'm, I'm assuming it's from the audience when you revert to a Q&A session. And then we yeah. have another. Sorry, oh, I was going to say we had Philip, I'm just looking as well. Should we do Philip? Yeah, yeah. let's do, yes, sure. <laughs> yeah, Philip, I hear you. I absolutely hear you. Um, it's, it can be a struggle. If you're going, if you go, so anybody got any questions? And there's just effing silence. Um, I mean, A, I would just make a joke of it and say, oh, clearly I've told you everything you could possibly need to know about this topic. That's great. Um, I would actually then set yourself up and ask yourself a question. So a phrase like, what, what I often get asked at this point is this. You know, this is what people are often asking me. They, are, they want me to go into more detail about this particular topic. So here we go. So I would... You know, have some of your, a bit like your FAQs, quite frankly, have some in your back pocket. And if necessary, you ask the question of yourself and then answer it. Um, or you could go out and say uh, something like, um, okay, if there's no questions at this point. That's really interesting. So a show of hands, how many people are going to, you know, you and use this, what we've just talked about in their, in their job tomorrow? Um, get people to put, you know, to actually take part and interact. And you notice I put my hand up. If you're going to do a show of hands, always put your hand up when you ask people to do it. Um, you're giving them permission to do it. Otherwise, a lot of people will sit there going, what, what's everybody else doing? Has everybody else voted? Um, so just a you know, show of hands, who's going to go and put this into action tomorrow? Okay, I can see that person. There. You said you're going to, which bit are you going to use? And sort of, you know, do the old teaching thing of putting somebody on the spot. So yeah, hope that helps, Philip. Uh, and Kaz, Kaz's question. Uh, how do you drive traffic to your YouTube videos? Uh, Okay, a couple of ways. I post them on social media, um, you know, and I will. Now, it's interesting. If you are posting a video onto LinkedIn, it is worth uploading it into LinkedIn rather than just linking to YouTube. LinkedIn does penalize posts that take people off the platform. So it's actually better on LinkedIn to just post a video natively within, within LinkedIn itself. 
Um, but I, so I do a couple of things. I have uh, YouTube. I always put YouTube video in my newsletter. Um, I have a fortnightly newsletter that goes out. So there's always links to YouTube in there. Um, I will uh, promote it across, let's say, social media platforms. And so I will just sometimes just say, you know, new content go up, do go, do go and check out my channel. I will make sure that it's tagged properly on YouTube so that it's turning up in YouTube searches. Um, and I will promote my YouTube channel. You know, I've mentioned it already, youtube.com slash deep busted. Um, you know, and you tell people, I've got a YouTube channel, check me out on YouTube, you can go have a look. Um, and a lot of people do, you know, people do go and, and explore. Um, so yeah, and then you, know, you can get into, I, I do have some, um, what are they called, end cards, which is when you, know, when you get to the end of the video and it suddenly brings up a card where there's three or four other thumbnails, you can set those up so that people can, you can actually lead people through a sequence of videos. So if I've done a few videos around stagecraft, let's say, I can link them. So when you finished watching one, it immediately suggests another, um, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, that's worth doing to, to help people to, to watch more of your YouTube content. Um, so, but yeah, don't be scared to promote it. You have to be, a, you know, you have to just get the word out there, um, you know, but, but getting the copyright and the tagging right and things like that means you are found and that's where you're found by people who don't necessarily know you um and that's that's the, that's the holy grail go on kirsten should we go to do, do you want to take the other questions in there or we um yes um so there is one more question from dave in the the comments asking about any tips on getting booked onto other people's podcasts excuse me mm. um be a podcast tart quite frankly um <laughs> You know, get out there and A, start listening to podcasts. And there's not a lot of people who are trying to guest on podcasts. But when you say, so what do you actually listen to? Oh, I don't have time to listen to podcasts. Come on. Um, you know, think about the podcasts you listen to and which would be good to get on there. Make it available. Now, there are directories of podcast guests. Um, you can go on those. Uh, but also just, you know, whenever somebody says they have a podcast, it's always saying, oh, I'd be, I'd be delighted to be a guest if you ever looking, needing looking for a guest. Happy to do it. You know, and that goes to you. Know, if any of you watching today have podcasts, let me know. And I, if I can, if we can, you know, find a convenient time, I'm very happy to do it. It's, um, you know, it's fun for me. Uh, it's also, it's, you know, ultimately it's publicity. It's, you know, it, it's a good way to, for me to get myself known. And also it then gives me content that I can share. So, you know, when this video comes up on content, I can then share it across my platforms and things like that. So um, I would, yeah, listen to podcasts and approach people. You know, don't be scared to to approach people and say, you know, I love your podcast. I would love to be a guest. These are the sorts of things I would talk about, making sure you're different to other guests they've had on recently. Um, and also when you're when you are, if you are on a podcast, ask the podcaster, which other podcast do you think, you know, do you rate? Do you rate? What else should I be listening to? What else could I maybe appear on? Um, you know, and again, make it clear it's on your website. It does it say on your website is available as a podcast guest on these topics. And that's the key thing. A podcaster isn't just looking for a guest. They'll be looking for a guest on a certain topic who can talk about a certain thing. So, you know, it's worth spelling out exactly what it is you're available for. The same is true if you want to be in, in traditional media. You know, if you want to be in newspapers and TV and radio and things like that, make sure it's on your website what you are available to be interviewed on. So I hope that helps. Thanks, Steve. Okay, so the next question, you have sort of spoken about it um, already, but let's let's go for it. Uh, what do you speak about when delivering keynotes at all workshops? So I, I, I do quite a lot of speaking about speaking, which is a bit <laughs> meta. Um, and it's slightly odd because I get to the point where I'm sort of asking people to examine what I'm doing as I'm doing it, um, which is a bit weird. Uh, so I do, I speak on communications. So I have a keynote called Get Your Voice Heard. 
um, which is my company name and it's all about what I do. Um, I have one called Let's Get Engaged, which is about engaging communications and how communications should all be two way. Uh, and I do have a keynote, which I haven't done for quite a long time, about called Sowing the Seeds of Business Growth. I'm a keen gardener, so I use a sort of gardening analogy about how to grow a business. So there's that, all that communication stuff. And then the other side is I now talk about online security and safety and scams. Should I kick it? You know, you know what's coming, Kirsten. Do you want me, should I, do you want me to, to mention this? All right. I, I think um, we can, I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for yeah. my sins, I am the face of an online international dating scam. Um, and I now give talks about that experience and what I've learned and how we can protect ourselves online. So basically, very long story, very short, somebody stole about 25 photos off my Facebook profile and uses them to set up profiles on dating sites to try to scam rich elderly women out of money. Um, the ultimate irony is I'm married to a man, so these women really aren't my type. Um, so actually the worst bit about the whole thing, the scammer sends up my photos and tells them I'm 68. Um, there's nothing wrong with being 68, I'm not. Um, but uh, yeah, so I talk, I basically, one of the women contacted me. Um, I now know of about 18, 20 women who have dated, quote, me online. And I'm sure there are hundreds more. Um, but we ended up going public. So I, if you Google my name and dating scam, you will find there's reams of, there's lots of press coverage. Uh, I did a lot of TV and newspaper and radio stuff about it, to, partly to raise awareness of romance fraud and the impact it has. I mean, millions of dollars are lost to romance fraud every year, millions. Um, we know of one woman in Aberdeen, who's north of the UK, uh, in, up in Scotland, and she sold her house and gave the proceeds to a man she'd never met. Um, you know, and, and it's not just men scamming women. There are a lot of men being scammed. And actually the police say the men will often give more money than the women will if they're being scammed. Um, so, I mean, it's hideous. It's, you know, but I tell the story of what happened. I sort of play it for laughs. I can laugh at myself and I laugh at the scammer. I will not laugh at the women at all. Um, and I don't think of them as victims, particularly, you know, they are, they're not stupid. They are apps. A lot of them are very intelligent women, but it's a very sophisticated setup. Um, uh, one of the, the woman who contacted me ended up Skyping. She had a Skype call with who she thought was me. What she, and she recorded it. So I had the video. Um, and it's actually, he'd found a video of me talking to my webcam a bit like this. And he's, he slowed it down. So it, so just like a really bad connection. Um, and then it's his voice over the top. It's, it's the most extraordinary thing. And the police were just like, what? Um, they'd never seen anything quite like that before. Um, so, yeah, so I now, I tell that story. And I talk, I partly talk about, say, online safety, how to spot scams, all those sorts of things. I also talk, tell the story of how I turned it into a new story. Because, you know, with a background in journalism and PR, I was just like, there, this is a great story and how I amplified it. And so I talk a little bit about, you know, how you can find stories within your business that you can turn to your business advantage um, and how you, you can turn that around. And actually that's how I met Mike and Landy was I spoke at the Plan B Summit in Namibia uh, two or three years ago that they were behind. And I told the story there. That was, that's the, the keynote I delivered to them on stage. So yes, I say, if you want to know the whole glory story, um, well, either rebook me or um, go on Google my name, Steve Bustin, and dating scams, and it's all there. You'll find it all. So you mentioned now that you've sort of branched into speaking about online safety and security, and obviously that's the main reason why. How is that going, and sort of how can one um, avoid these types of scams? Oh, that's a big topic. <laughs> um, I mean, I do. Yes, I do talk about it. I'm. I have to be a little bit careful with it because. 
it's not my core topic. You know, I'm known for my communications stuff. So if I'm, I have to be careful that I don't end up sort of diluting my brand. So I'm, I'm a little bit judicious about when I, how and when I will tell it. Um, in terms of avoiding scams, I, have, I would have to say, have your skepticism filter turned on. If something seems a little bit off, or if something seems a little bit too good to be true, just have that filter up. Um, and I would say, particularly if you are on dating sites, um, they will look for people who are vulnerable. And that's how they get in, basically, is they will look for people who are potentially emotionally vulnerable. They will also use things like gullibility checkers. Um, and this, again, is one of the things I talk about in my, in my keynote on this. So the, the, the classic one is there's a picture that does the rounds as a meme on Facebook and things. Uh, and there's a woman on a paddleboard at sea and the photo is taken from a drone looking down on her. And underneath you can see a, there's a, the shadow of a shark in the water. And it will say something like hit like and press six to see what happens next. Now, this is a still image. It's very clearly a still image. And yet it will get hundreds of thousands of people liking it and hitting six, normally followed a few seconds later by going, nothing happened. Um, and that is a scam gullibility check. And there are a number of them. There's a few of them around. But what they will, the scammers will then do is they will look at the people who were gullible enough to hit six. And they will then look at their profile photos. They will do reverse Google image searches to find out where else those photos appear, because those photos might well be on their dating profile. And they now know that they're talking to somebody who has a propensity to gullibility. Um, so just watch out for that sort of stuff. And also be really careful on for social media platforms on all the things about, um, you know, what is your, I'm trying to think of, a, of a, an international example. Um, you know, what's, what's your, uh, what's your porn name actually is the classic one. What's your, what, what, you know, if you were a porn star, what would be your porn name? And it's the, the name of your first pet. And the, and, and I think it's the first, the name of the street you grew up on, something like that. And yet the name of your first pet is a security question on a lot of online banking and all those sorts of things. <laughs> And again, that is people fishing for information. And it's funny, it's funny, but actually you're putting out information that to, to, is very valuable to other people. So just be aware of all those sorts of things. The other key one is make sure that your profiles are set to friends only. So on Facebook and things like that, you know, LinkedIn is a slightly different beast, but Facebook, make sure that your profile is set to friends only. A lot of us have them set to everywhere because we want people to find us because you know, we're business people and all that sort of stuff. But that's when people can access and get your photos. You know, if they can see your photos, it's as easy as right click, save to desktop, and they've got your images. Um, so, you know, there's now a file. I'm sure there is a file of images of me being sold. And, you know, if, if somebody wants to buy pictures of middle-aged gray-haired man, there you go. There's one. Um, so I think it's, yeah, just make sure you know who can see what on your social platforms and protect things. You know, be, be, be a little bit wary. And it's interesting because I know it's that sort of in contradiction to what I've been saying about, you know, get your content out there and things. But just be aware of, of, of how other people might be using things nefariously. Um, and also, actually, God, I'm, I'm on a roll now. I'll horn you. Um, do a reverse Google image search on your profile photos. So take the image that you're, you tend to use your headshot. And I can see, I mean, Diane, Matthew, I can see you know, you've, got, you've got classic headshots up on, 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 on Zoom. Do a reverse Google image search on that to find out where else that photo is appearing. Has somebody else used it? Has somebody else got it? Um, you go to google.com slash image, you upload the image, and it will tell you where else on the web it finds it. 
I found a conference that I had turned down. I had said no, we're still using my photo and name to promote the conference. Um, so yeah, I think you just need to, to just be aware of where your images are being used. Anyway, I'll stop on that topic there. That's probably enough. I'm very aware of time and I, I suspect there may be more questions from other people. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I do want to give everyone a chance to ask you a couple of questions. Um, the last one, which you've already actually mentioned as well, is how can people follow and reach you online? Okay, uh, there's all sorts of ways. Um, so on, um, I'm certainly on LinkedIn. You'll find me on LinkedIn as um, you know, Steve Bustin. Uh, YouTube.com slash Steve Bustin. I don't tend to use Facebook for business stuff. I don't, you know, I don't have a business page on there. I think I do. It's moribund. Uh, I ought to take it down um uh but you can then turn find me on twitter and instagram i'm at steve in brighton um insta but my instagram feed at the moment is dominated by puppy pictures i warn you but if you want to go and see my puppy go to instagram um instagram is yeah at steve in brighton um you might find my website which is uh all the w's get your voice heard.co.uk um so yeah it's uh, you'll find me out at, and i um, just i was gonna say i have a fairly unusual surname um having said that there is a dr steve Bustin around who's a cancer specialist so um yeah just make sure you're looking at the right one uh but yeah that's so yeah at stephen brighton on twitter and instagram find me on linkedin youtube website or by all means drop me an email steve at stevebustin.com if you want to be in touch that's no problem Thanks, Steve. And thank you for your time today. I'm going to ask the audience if they have any questions. They can either ask on the chat or perhaps put a camera on and ask directly. <laughs> oh, sorry. I see that Matthew actually had a question here. He asked what was the, the link on Google. Yeah, so for, I think it's google.com slash images. Image or images. I can't remember now whether it's singular or plural. Um, okay. So, and the other one is actually if people are interested in speech club, um, the link is speech-club.co.uk. That's the free event that we do where we watch and critique a speech every month. And actually, we've got one next. It's a week tomorrow, next Wednesday. And we're watching Martha Lane Fox, the um, entrepreneur, the founder of lastminute.com, speaking about uh, the future technology. So, yeah, speech-club.co.uk. We'll get you there. And that's free. You'd be very welcome to join us at 6 o'clock in the evening UK time, which I think is 7 o'clock South Africa time. So... Um, yeah, yes. I can see Dave's got a hand up. Dave, yes. <laughs> hey, Steve, thanks very much. This was fascinating in many ways. Um, I'm just about to leave. I had to take a job in government during the pandemic, and I'm about, I'm two weeks away from leaving that, going back to setting up my business. Most of my clients are government, probably 70% government, 30% corporate. Mm -hmm. Does YouTube work with them? Yes, up to a point. Um, you know, they're not, they are, people aren't necessarily using YouTube for, um, for their, on their, every, in their everyday roles, but government departments are absolutely are, you know, government departments are putting out information on there all the time. So you can tag and you can comment and you can share their content. Um, so, you know, I think, but also everybody's an individual. And it's very easy to think, oh, yeah, these people are only ever, you know, if, when, they're, when they're at work, not on YouTube, therefore I shouldn't use it. But actually when they're off work or when they're on their lunch break, if, there's, if you are doing providing something that will make their life easier, if there is a problem that you know you help solve, that sort of content on YouTube can be great. It also just means that it's because Google own YouTube, so it's all very well indexed. It also just means that if somebody were to go to Google and say, you know, how do I solve this problem? 
YouTube will come up very high in those rankings. Um, so yeah, it's think of people as individuals. Yeah, they may not be going on in their corporate role, but they may well be going on as an individual to educate themselves or to help solve a problem. And that's where I think you can be there to help solve that problem. Does that make sense? Well, it, it does. And I think your whole um, titling how to's, yeah, I've never thought of doing that or, and the, the brilliant stuff, the FAQs and the A to Z. Um, it, thank you. It's been really, um, really good. This was Excellent. timely for me. You're very welcome. Steve, there was a question in the comments and then we can go over to uh, Lisa um, from Matthew. My question was going to be, what advice do you have for me and others that use our professional image instead of live cams to stop people stealing our identities? Uh, it's much harder to steal a live cam would be my obvious one. And actually, if you want to connect with people, if you want people to understand who you are, you should be live. Um, you should be on camera and you should be, you know, people should be able to see you and, 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 and engage with you that way. Um, but yeah, people will, you know, people will take, take a, a still image, I'm afraid. That's, you know, I think on Zoom, it is harder to do. You'd have to screenshot and, you know, I can't download your image from Zoom in the way I could do from LinkedIn or from Facebook. Um, and I think it's why it's incumbent upon us all to understand where our images are being used. So the reverse Google image search is, is vital on that one. You know, just keep an eye out for where it's being used and and then you can always challenge somebody if they're using it illegally. Um, but on the whole, I would say a live shot is is far, far harder to steal than, than, a, than a still image. So, you know, I would. Yeah. And, and I think and also video is more engaging. People like to be able to, 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 to see you. So, yeah. Sorry, I hope that helps. But um, yeah, go live whenever you can. Great. Thanks. 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 Hi, morning, Steve. Uh, lovely presentation. Was super hooked on everything you were saying. So you definitely have the whole presentation thing going. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well done. I'm actually uh, doing a presentation with Mike and Lundy soon on one of their. Um, so yeah, taking lots of tips. So thank you. Um, question: um, I'm a digital marketer, and um, you know we're always learning every day. Um, what is you might have mentioned it? Sorry if you have, but what are your thoughts on TikTok being, uh, you know, video being one of your stronger uh, communication portals? Have you? I can't find you, so I don't know if you're there. But on TikTok, no, I'm. I do have an account. It's. It's. I haven't gone. I haven't sort of gone active with it yet. I just. I lurk on there at the moment. Um, TikTok, yeah, TikTok's interesting. I mean, if you particularly if you are selling to a younger audience, TikTok is absolutely where it's at. To the point, more so than Instagram, it's one of those things where every social media platform has been. Young people have, have, have been the initial users. When their parents arrive, the young people move off, you know, go elsewhere. And I think it, you know it happened with Facebook. The youngsters went to Instagram. I think it's happening at the moment where they're all moving on to TikTok. Um, short form video is where it's at. So Instagram Reels, Shorts on YouTube, Reels are also turning up on Facebook because of course they're on Instagram, um, TikTok. So that short form video stuff uh, is really, it seems it's really important at the moment. You know, people, people are really going for it. Um, they don't want to watch four or five minutes. They want 20, 30 mm -hmm. seconds. And there are, some, there are some great people. I've been looking at presentation coaches on TikTok and there's, there are two or three people doing really good stuff. And it's really short, sharp, punchy, energetic um but it's yeah it's useful yeah today you've talked to government people tiktok's not where to be but i think as a digital marketer yes you absolutely need to be familiar mm. with tiktok and, uh, oh, and will we works. see you on tiktok soon are you going to give it a try yeah i mean i'm just short form is now what i'm, I'm just experimenting with with how i do it and partly i'm trying to find workflows where i can subcontract 
I'll get my my VA to to pick up some of the the edit stuff just because otherwise it just becomes really time consuming. Um, so, but yes, that's I'm, I'm actually doing, I'm doing a training course about Instagram Reels next week, um, which I found because I want to make sure that I'm doing it properly and, and things. So, it's uh, yeah. Awesome! Thank you so much. You're welcome. We are on ten o'clock already, or in South African time anyway. <laughs> um, I don't know if anyone has a final question that they have for Steve. <clears throat> Any takers? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, Steve, thank you so very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure listening to your story and and your presentation and everything. It's been amazing. And uh, thanks for everyone for joining and everyone that's going to be listening later. <laughs> Great. Brilliant. Thanks, Kirsten. Thanks, everybody. It's been lovely to see you.